My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. I have Lauren here with me. Um, she was an audience member, listened to the podcast, and wanted to come on and share her story about OCD, about her difficulty finding a therapist, which I'm sure so many of you guys can resonate with yourself. So, um, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about exposure work. We're going to talk about acceptance and commitment therapy, um, some false memory difficulties that Lauren struggled with, postpartum OCD, um, you know, and, and that's all kind of relevant to my own experience too. Definitely struggled with postpartum OCD, the false memories, um, and lots of other things. So, um, if any of that is kind of connecting with any of you, I think this will be a really, really helpful episode. So I'm going to hand it over to Lauren now to just briefly introduce herself. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for being with us. Um, if you don't mind, could you just kind of go into a little bit about yourself first, kind of paint the picture for our listeners about kind of who you are, what your, you know, life is like right now. And then we'll get into when you actually realized you had OCD. Sure. Hi. So thank you for having me again. Um, so yeah, I'm an OCD sufferer. Um, I live in the UK and in April of this year, um, I had a little baby, my first baby. Um, so me and my husband and him um, live together and I'm on maternity leave at the moment. Um, so I'm really lucky in that I've got about a year off, so I'm going back to work in April time. Um, but I think as well, like for a lot of mums, especially first time mums, um, maternity leave is like a really isolating period in a, in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, it's been a time where my OCD has really, really cropped up. Um, so yeah, that's me at the moment and that's my, my setup. Yeah, I remember so many people when I was preparing for maternity leave, they were telling me like, oh my gosh, you're going to have the best time. They also said other things like, oh my gosh, you're going to be so bored. And I'm like, I I didn't have the best time and I was never bored. Like it mm. was, but and no one told me about OCD. No one told me about the anxiety. No one told me how hard it would be. So I feel like I went into maternity leave, like having absolutely no idea what to do or like how to handle that and you're right it is so incredibly isolating not to mention in the winter right like there's not too much that you could do in the winter um I had my son in February so it was super cold here in Wisconsin and like no one is out like you can't go and do things it's just a really really isolating time for sure um so when did you start to first realize that you had OCD maybe some like previous themes like in hindsight what did you kind of notice yeah, so I think like a lot of people have um, the same thing as me where they go through their life kind of knowing that they're not um, like 
quite the same as everybody else in terms of their mental health but they can't really put a proper label on it so I went through my life until I'm I'm about um 28 now it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I looked back at um a lot of different things in my life and realized oh my gosh that was all OCD um so in hindsight from when I was young so when I was in primary school which is like elementary school um in, in, in hindsight, I had a lot of just right OCD and doing things just right, doing things a certain way. I had these rituals of clicking my fingers um, as a compulsion. If I'd done something that I perceived to be wrong, then I would have to do it again. Um, so I struggled with that. And then as I uh, grew up, when I was a teenager, it became like a lot of sort of like social OCD. Um, the best way I could probably describe it is a bit like relationship OCD, but with my friends and with my social life. Um, and, you know, it kind of just progressed from there through a lot of different themes, which I think OCD it's quite common for people to notice that it latches on to whatever it is that they're really valuing. Um, and at different points in my life, it's just been different things. Um, so when I was in my early 20s, I had really bad health um, OCD. Um, when I got my first um, sort of real job, I became very obsessed and worried about the idea that I was going to lose my job. Um, a lot of relationship OCD. Um, and sort of the older I got, the more and more my OCD um, themes became false memory related. Um, so yeah I got to um, a point where I would be particularly I think like if I'd had a drink in the evening um, and I would just have a like a normal night one or two um, drinks like not heavy drinking not blackout drunk anything like that but I would wake up the next day and I would just convince myself that because I'd had a drink and I couldn't necessarily guarantee that I could remember my evening or not I would I would have the most um, sort of intense spells of um doing compulsions because I was convinced I'd I'd killed somebody or I'd I don't know um like sent inappropriate pictures online and then deleted evidence on my computer um you know and as OCD um is this was like based off nothing this was based off no memories I had no evidence I had this was just like I woke up and I thought well I could have done this so therefore uh let's act as if I have done this um and yeah, I, I realized, I think when I was Googling, like, why is this, what is this um, sort of that's happening to me, that OCD can affect people in this way, because, and I'm sure you find this a lot, um, people, and I did as well, had this perception of OCD as just um, really just contamination OCD um, and the compulsions as being just sort of hand washing or checking. Um, and I hadn't realized that the way that I was sort of ritualistically checking my um, my own life and my actions and thinking through them um, repeatedly, that was something that OCD could make you do. Um, and then in April this year, when my little boy was born, um, sort of postpartum OCD hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more. Um, and I guess since then, so it's December now, that's really been the main theme that I've struggled with recently. Yeah, I'm, I mean, as a professional and as someone who's been there myself, like I can look back and all these examples that you're saying and be like, oh yeah, like that's a slam dunk case of OCD. That's so characteristic of OCD. Um, you know, the doubtfulness, how it kind of shifts and morphs and it's a, just a shape shifter the way that OCD is. 
I'm curious, did you ever know that like back then, I mean, you know that there was something kind of different, right? Like you knew that you didn't feel quite right, but did it ever occur to you that all of those things in your past, like when you were in primary school, that that could have been OCD? Um, do you know, like not, not really. And I remember when I kind of, kind of clicked for me that, oh my gosh, pretty much every period in my life I could break down into a different OCD theme and it was like a proper revelation to me I was like oh my gosh this all makes sense now um and I think I for years I stuff I I kind of um like my GP and um my mum and my family we just sort of thought I had anxiety and I know um like in the DSM OCD has been like recategorized but I mean it's got like a really close relationship with anxiety disorders um whether you agree with that reclassification or not um and so I guess it wasn't wrong really for it to be caused anxiety um but yeah that was sort of what I I thought that um my con- my mental health condition I guess was um so yeah and then when I started looking into OCD more I was just like this makes so much sense um the only time that people ever or I ever did think oh it could be OCD was when I talked about the clicking um because that's just like the closest it's probably in my life one of the only physical compulsions I've had um and I think people who've got more physical compulsions just probably tend to get diagnosed quicker um but that was when I was quite young like I said and as I got older all of my compulsions tended to be uh, mental Um, and I think people who've got primarily like mental compulsions I guess they just it's it's just less obvious um, for people to categorize as OCD Um, so basically no but my gosh when I did realize that it was all OCD behaviors I was I was just like blown away because it just it like made a real difference to how I saw my identity because I just thought I'd had these like weird intense periods um where I was obsessed with things um and that was just because I don't know I guess I thought I was just kind of a strange person um but to find out that there was actually like a medical reason um or basis for for the the way that I'd lived my life it kind of like it completely changed the way I thought about myself Yeah, absolutely. That must have been really validating. Like I, I remember, and this is like partly why I kind of made the podcast. Like I remember when I was struggling with postpartum and I was an OCD professional for the longest time, right? Like I had been in the field for 10 years. Like I knew at some, I knew on every level that this was very much OCD but there's always still that doubt that like, what if I don't have OCD, right? Like what if it's actually something more or what if I'm just like crazy or whatever? Uh, What if I'm just like being dramatic? I don't know. I definitely struggled with that. Um, But anytime that I heard a mom or anybody else having the same exact thought that I had, I was like, like, there's nothing that's, that feels better than that. There's nothing that feels better than that validation that you are not alone, that there's nothing wrong with you, that this is something that is affecting you, that you are not the one out there, like making all these horrific decisions. You're not just totally and royally messed up in a way that you can't fix. Like that, this is something that happens and it happened to you. Um, Hmm. and that, I imagine that had to have been pretty validating and just like seeing all the pieces come together of, you know, even the examples of when you were little, 
Um, and you're so right. Uh, OCD latches on to what it is that we value. So it makes sense that, you know, when you got your first job, of course, there were doubts associated with that. When you got into a really serious relationship, you had doubts about that. Um, I would love to shift now to talking about your most recent kind of shape-shifting OCD theme, which is the postpartum, right? Hugely difficult time for new parents, new moms especially. Um, there's just so much that we don't talk about. There's so much that's taboo and it makes us feel awful, makes us feel ashamed, um, makes us feel so isolated. And yeah, I just want to give you the space to talk about your postpartum OCD. Yeah, sure. Um, so I knew when I uh, had uh, my little boy in April, I knew already that I had OCD. Um, and I tend to be quite on it with my OCD, quite aware of my obsessions and compulsions. But for some reason, I just didn't even consider that my OCD would affect um, my postpartum period. Um, which I guess is really naive, but I think when you're about to be a new mum, you've got so much else going on that it just wasn't something I planned for. Um, so, I mean, I had all of the, the things ready for him. I had his nursery ready. I had all of the things that I'd need postpartum ready. Um, and I felt like I was completely organized, but actually the OCD and uh, how it affected my life was just the, the one thing that I probably really needed to think about. And, and you know, how could I, uh, how, if I could go back in time, I, I would just sort of tell myself to like watch out for myself and, you know, to, to look after myself, my, my mental health in that period as much as I can. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I wasn't prepared for it at all. I did not expect it to latch on to my baby, even though that is the exact nature of OCD. Um, so it started particularly badly, like through, I would say, I think he was three days old. Um, and I was, um, I was in bed and I was breastfeeding him. And my husband had gone downstairs. He was like on his way downstairs and he'd forgotten to get me something. And for some reason, this made me really annoyed. Um, and I was like to my husband, oh, like, you know, hurry up, get it now. I don't even remember what it was. Um, but I remember feeling annoyed at my husband. Um, and I was holding um, my little baby at my breast, feeding him um, with one hand. But I was not really focusing on that. I was just sort of bickering with my husband. And I thought to myself, I had this, and I remember this so clearly, I thought, um, isn't it amazing how I can be, I can feel so angry at my husband right now, but be being so gentle with my baby at my breast. And that was just such a trigger. And I thought, you know, the sort of OCD part of my brain went to me, well, how do you know? How do you know you've been gentle with him? Are you sure you've been gentle with him? Um, are you sure? Because you feel pretty angry right now. Are you sure you're not squeezing him like a stress ball and taking out your rage on him? And I like looked down and I was checking him and, you know, he wasn't crying and he had no marks on him and I didn't remember hurting him. But then I thought, well, you feel so angry. And like in hindsight, that is because I, since this period, I've educated myself a lot on OCD and like it is the feeling really that you buy into. Um, because you're not willing to trust uh, your thoughts one way or another, rational or irrational. But that feeling, that feeling of, oh, my God, this feels so real um, is really what gets you. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, well, you feel pretty angry. And because I felt angry and because I was holding my baby at the same time, I'd sort of fused the two in my head. 
And for the next few days after that experience, I just felt totally worthless. And sort of my intrusive thoughts in my head would be, well, you don't deserve to have him. You're a child abuser. You hurt him. You're one of those awful people who takes their rage out on their children. Um, and it was really tough. I found it really depressing. And from that point, I would say that this particular um, obsession kept cropping up and I know for a lot of women and it's like a totally valid theme the OCD um, postpartum will be sort of future uh, oriented so they'd be like something like oh you know what if I um, stab my baby or throw them down the stairs um, and for me what I kept getting was sort of short term I would say like false memories OCD it would never really be future based it would always be did you just pinch him how do you know check his body uh, did you just shake him I got very worried about um, shaking baby syndrome um, and I would be bouncing him on my knee and I would think did you just shake him um, if I'd you know if I was bouncing him and watching tv so I wasn't fully concentrating I would think did you just shake him um, and then I would go and Google it and I would like post on um, like mums uh, online forums um, saying what could cause, asking what could cause uh, shaken baby syndrome, whether me bouncing my son would cause it. Um, and it just carried on. And every few days there'd be a new instance where I'd just even just be holding him or put him down on the floor. And I, I would think, oh, you, you hit him or you slapped him. And then I would have to check him. I would have to ask my husband, did I just hit the baby? Um, and it was so just surreal, I think, for my husband particularly, because we'd be in our house. I would be holding the baby. You know, everything would be totally normal. And just out of nowhere, I would be just sort of begging him to tell me if I just hurt the baby. And he would be sort of so confused because he'd be like, well, we've both just stood here and nothing's happened. And you've like not even moved you know how could you have how could you have hurt him how could you how could you be so delusional as to think you'd hurt him um and you know he he would never like say that or anything but I just think for somebody else um looking in from the outside it, it must be so strange um and it got to the point where like I even started to fuse my own sensations in my body um, with what I imagined the baby was feeling so like for example if I clapped my hands and I could feel like my hands stinging or if I hurt myself like say I, I don't know I walked into something and my foot hurt I would feel like I'd just kicked the baby and that's why my foot was hurting or I'd feel like I'd just hit the baby and that's why my hands were stinging after I'd clapped them um, and it was really actually like one of the most validating moments when I listened to your episode um Jenna on the OCD stories Stuart Ralph's podcast and you said that you used to not believe your senses um about your little boy being in the back of your car and I literally I think I cried listening to that because I was like that is exactly how I feel I feel like I cannot trust my senses um you know I I would just I don't know I, I would put my hand down on a surface like firmly because I was like cooking something or I don't know for whatever reason and I'd just be like well you've hit him and you've got to go and check now and you've got to go and check your husband and you've got to go over it in your mind um and yeah this was pretty hard um and then I I I, I this one on for like the first few months of his life 
Um, and it got to a point where um, it shifted slightly in theme. Um, and I think it is, it's a, uh, what, what it shifted to is a really taboo theme. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about how it started. Um, so I remember I used to have to get into the bath with um, my baby and breastfeed him because he hated going in the bath on his own and he would scream. So it was kind of a two person job. I would get in the bath holding the baby um, and uh, my husband would sort of like pass him to me and pass him back and uh, go and get him dried and dressed and everything. Um, and one night we did that. So I got in the bath, my husband passed me the baby, we gave him a bath, I passed the baby back to my husband. And, you know, it was like a pretty normal evening. And I remember in bed that night thinking, um, how do you know that you didn't do something sexually inappropriate with your son in the bath? And my thought was much more explicit than that. Um, and something that I get really frustrated with when I listen to OCD um, stories from like, I guess in like social media, and I understand why this has to happen, but it's so sanitized. Like when you have an intrusive thought, you don't think, to yourself in those terms oh did I do something sexually inappropriate you think in really graphic sort of like visceral language like with expletives and, and cursing and that kind of thing but I, I don't feel able to like repeat the exact phrasing um but just so that people don't feel alone in the content of their intrusive thoughts like the, the actual thought I had was much more like disturbing in terms of the language that it uses, if, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I had this thought and I became obsessed with this, that I'd done something inappropriate to him. And I would just replay the scene of me bathing him with my husband in the room, um, going over and over and over, trying my best to remember every single moment. And it's like trying to prove a negative. You can't do it. You can't prove a negative because with your memory, you might have you might have forgotten something you just you can't prove that you haven't forgotten something because if you've forgotten it you wouldn't know and I convinced myself that I'd, I'd done this awful thing to him and I remember for the months following that I couldn't even look at my baby or enjoy a happy moment with him without it coming to the forefront of my mind that I was this terrible abuser. And I remember really vividly this time, he was smiling up at me and I was smiling back down at him. And I just thought to myself, well, why are you, you're not entitled to enjoy this moment because you're, you're an abuser, you're an abuser, you've harmed him and now you've sexually abused him. Um, and it was so hard and like maternity leave and being a new mum is hard enough on its own but on top of that like the way that these themes affect your self-worth is just so difficult um so moving on from that moving forward with it that theme really stayed with me that and when I say that theme I mean that particular um false memory um and I knew I think that's one of the hard things as well is that you kind of know on some level that this is OCD and it's like a dual frustration because one half of your mind is saying to you um it's not fair that I have to believe that this is true and that, that I have to have this memory and struggle with it um because I know it's a false memory and I know I'm an OCD sufferer but then on the other hand this other part of your brain is just shouting at you no this time it's real this time it's OCD um 
uh, this time it isn't OCD, this time it's real. This time you're just using OCD as an excuse to say that you haven't done it. Um, and it's like that sort of struggle between the, the sort of rational and irrational side of your brain um, that is really time consuming. Um, and it, it took up a lot of sort of my, my thinking space to be constantly like having this battle and this argument in my head um, and I think that's something a lot of people experience with the false memories. It's the frustration of, I kind of know they're false, so why do I have to put up with them? Um, with the OCD telling you that it's true and it's real. Um, so from there, I, I would have smaller episodes, like maybe changing his nappy. Um, I would have a similar thing. I would have a false memory and I would be sort of obsessing over that for the next few days. Um, and yeah it just kind of it kind of went from there and it really has nowhere further to go because for me at least personally I don't think there's anything more taboo than this um and I from probably about I guess maybe like three months onwards um I think he's about eight months now so the months after that I really struggled with those two themes yeah, it's so awful. It literally attacks the thing that you value most. And it's so like, that is just so characteristic of OCD, right? Like, you know, you didn't have that thing happen, but what if you did, right? Like it, it just still, that doubt just continues to linger and it feels so irresponsible to not go back in your memory and try to figure it out. Like it feels like you're a horrible person and a horrible parent. You're just so irresponsible and you're missing something. If you don't go back into your memory, but every time that you go back into your memory, you just get more and more doubtful. And it's like Chris Tronson, I think, is who I got this analogy from. It's like anytime that you go back into your memory um, to try to remember anything, not just, you know, the examples that you gave, but anytime you go back in your memory to try to remember something, like whether you did something or whether you didn't or how something went. It's like taking a photocopy of a photocopy, right? Like initially, like you take a photocopy of something and it's it's maybe a little bit clear, but it's not exact, it's not an exact duplicate. But then try taking a photocopy of a photocopy and then a photocopy of a photocopy and a photocopy of a photocopy. By the time that you've done that 20, 30 times, let alone for like multiple years, right? It's like it, what you're imagining in your head and what you're trying to figure out, like that is no longer clear. It's no longer accessible. And if anything, like your memory can play really crazy tricks on you. Like that's something that we learned even in my forensic psychology class when I was in grad school, like, like false confessions are a real thing. Like people can get kind of convinced of things that they didn't do when they're in the right environment. And when they like kind of tell themselves all the right things, right? Like they can become convinced of having done things that they didn't do put OCD on top of that, where we're already so vulnerable to doubt and we're so intolerant of that uncertainty, you know, it's awful. And it just seems like your OCD voice was so demeaning, like demeaning is just the word that keeps coming up, right? Like it's just so demeaning. Um, and I'm sure so many people out there can connect. So, you know, you eventually found out that you were struggling with OCD. You have, you know, started to experience postpartum OCD, some false memory stuff with your, with your baby. Um, at what point, like, did you, or, at, you know, did you start to want to try to help yourself or try to take that next step as far as therapy goes? What was that like for you? Sure. So I guess 
as soon as I realized I had OCD, which was a few years before having the, the baby, like I, I tried to find a therapist and obviously like I'm in the UK and it's like a different system um, to what you guys have over there in the US. Um, but what I find a lot of, and I, I, I think this is a pretty universal experience, is that therapists sometimes who say, who, who will be quite like a broad, um, like will have quite a broad practice in terms of the people that or the types of people that they try and help. Um, I, I was finding that a lot of people would say that they had experience treating OCD. Um, and then when I went for a session with them, it would really quickly become apparent um, that they they were not an expert in in this area of of mental health um I think as well in the UK like with our um, NHS there are experts in OCD that you can get referred to um but it is quite a lengthy process um it's also something that will not necessarily be local to you so you may have to travel quite a long distance as well as waiting a very long time um and the way that um the like the the regions are structured if you want to get referred to a service that's outside of your region you have to make an application and they have to show that you've exhausted every possible line of um of like alternative option to get that um application approved in the first place um so i kind of went through the nhs initially with my doctor um but i'm still currently uh waiting for um specialist help down that avenue so like i said i was my hand was kind of forced to look for professional help privately um and i was just finding that a lot of people um who were local to me because i did even though this was like the you know during this year so covid had happened um a lot of people were online um unable to help people uh online it was it was just very difficult to find somebody because I felt it was so important to see someone in person. Um, it was hard to find somebody who truly was a specialist. And I remember really vividly, I went to this one therapist um, and I was explaining to her like the nature of my false memories. And she just turned to me and went, well, it's quite simple. Did you do it? And I was like, uh, and I just it's found it. It's not so that hard. simple. She clearly <laughs> didn't understand OCD. No, and I, I like, I just wanted to, I just kind of said, well, I know, but I feel like I did. Um, and I was like, do you know, I, I can't go back to this particular person. And the experiences I had with other therapists, I think I tried like four or five. They were, they were similar, but not as sort of outlandishly bad as that one I just mentioned. Um, and I think like a lot of them meant really well but they all wanted to do a lot of talk therapy a lot of like traditional CBT um nobody was aware of ERP unfortunately um and I found that I was explaining things to them that they didn't know themselves um so I think like after having a look at like you know a couple more profiles um on the website I was using I was like do you know what I think that I am going to go down the route of using the amazing resources that I've I've since found um, to just try and help myself. Um, and I'm really lucky that I've been able to do that. And I, I do feel that I'm I'm at a point where it's working for me. Um, and 
yeah, I kind of, I kind of realized this. I think it was as soon as I, I think it was a few weeks after I'd been really struggling with the sort of false memory that I'd had um, when I was giving my little boy a bath. I think that it, I was like, do you know what? Something needs to change because I was just, I think I was becoming depressed really. Um, and I wanted to be able to sort of enjoy my time off with him and be able to sort of just love him completely um, as, as you know, a mother should be able to um, and not have to sort of, think every time I look at him have these thoughts that like oh you're a terrible mother or you don't deserve to enjoy these moments um so yeah I think it was I think it was a few weeks after that um intrusive thought that I had and that false memory started yeah I I am unfortunately not surprised at the just arduous and totally ridiculous process that you've had to go through I do know that, you know, as difficult as it can be in other ways in the United States, we at least don't have that problem, right? Like where people have to literally jump through so many hoops to get the care that they need, let alone a specialist. And it's just, it's awful. Um, so that's why I, I'm with you. Like, I love social media for that reason, as long as, you know, you can be a good filter for yourself, like make sure that you're actually viewing and consuming legitimate evidence-based stuff, which is why I love, and hopefully, you know, other people do too, like love what I do. You know, it's not, I would love for everybody to have a therapist. I would love for everybody to have a mental health professional who understands OCD and is qualified to deliver the evidence-based treatments, but that's just not possible. And, you know, I would rather, I would rather, even though there are risks in any way that you spin it, like I would rather somebody do whatever the heck they can to help themselves. Like, you know, listen to my podcast or, you know, try to do some exposures on their own, knowing that they should do things in a way that's challenging, but manageable, but still try to resist rituals. Like I know that even the basic social media stuff and the resources online have saved lives because they can't access it. Like people can't access a therapist. And so, yeah, I totally, I stand behind that. Like of course, I would love for everybody to access a therapist. That's just not possible. We have to accept that. And so I'm hopeful that, yeah, I'm hopeful that people find the resources online, you know, reputable sources, of course, people who are licensed professionals who offer evidence-based treatment. I'm curious though, you know, in what it is that you've learned, what have been some really good light bulb moments for you? Like what have been some really good standout concepts that you've learned that have really allowed you to experience some type of relief, um, even if it's just a, a little bit of relief, like what have you learned that's been really, really helpful? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and I've got like quite a few different answers to that. Um, and the first one I actually um, got from your podcast, um, I don't exactly remember what episode it was, um, and you had like a specific name for it, but it was basically diving deep into what your kind of theme and trigger and obsession is really about. Um, Core and, fears maybe? Yeah, maybe. And it's about like asking, but why? But why is that bad? Um, you know? the, oh my gosh. The downward arrow technique. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The downward arrow technique. Um, and it's like so crucial. And I think like any professional um, ERP, OCD therapist knows that it's kind of like a waste of time if you're not really treating what that exact bottom level um, of your, your core fear is about. Um, and so that downward arrow technique of saying, okay, well, 
you know, I, I'm really worried that I um I did something inappropriate with um, my son or that I hurt my son. And obviously that sounds like inherently bad. Um, but then you say, well, why would that be bad? And what I actually realized from that technique is that although I'm obviously concerned about my son and I love him and I want him to be safe, a lot of the obsessions for me, they weren't really based around his safety. They were more based around the idea for me of being judged as a bad mother by other people or as being judged um, to be a bad person. Um, and that's not necessarily true of like every mother with postpartum OCD. I think for a lot of women, their, their like core fear is really around the safety of their baby. But realizing when I did that downward arrow that a lot of it for me is about being judged and being thought badly of, um, that really helped me guide what I wanted to create my uh, exposures around when I did my ERP. Um, so that was like the first thing that really helped me. Um, and then one of the other things that people say to do is to create a hierarchy. Um, and like my hierarchy was pretty one dimensional. Like it was basically my son at the top of the pyramid and nothing left that much at the bottom. But I think like I did have a lot of um, OCD characteristics. So I would do a some amount of like checking around the house, light switches, um, like the cooker, um, things being plugged in, like checking the door was locked. Um, and so they were what I started with because they bothered me the least. Um, and I just sort of went for those and I, I they were like low hanging fruit um, and I, I kind of did feel myself getting like a bit stronger and that allowed me to get onto the the more sort of like disturbing obsessions that really bothered me um something that so so I started to devise my my exposures for those those things that really bothered me but the next thing that like I think really um, was like a light bulb moment for me, which I knew anyway, but it's really hard to realize until it happens is don't do too much too soon and don't push yourself to do exposures that are like a 10 out of 10 for how uncomfortable they make you feel. Um, because I did an exposure too soon that I wasn't ready for, which was going back um, and having a bath whilst holding my little boy with him sitting on my lap. Um, and at the time I found it fine and I was like to my husband um who was helping me like get in and out of the bath with him I was like yeah this is fine I don't know what I was worried about and it wasn't until maybe like a couple of days later where I was like oh my god I can't believe I did that like how could I you know think it was appropriate to be naked in the bath with my son um and it hit me and I was like, do you know what? I don't actually think I was ready to do that yet. Um, so yeah, the second thing is don't do things you're not ready for. Um, I think like the, the um, like professional advice is to make a scale, like a sud scale, um, like a subjective, um, I can't remember exactly, like unit of difficulty maybe. Um, and like you rate how, uh, and triggering or stressful you perceive these things to be um and you're supposed to go for something that's like around a seven um so I went too high too soon um but once I'd worked out um like that and I'd got kind of to the right level um you know I was kind of on along the right track um so the next thing that I did was I started to think about the fact that obviously with the theme around postpartum OCD um, and any taboo theme 
um, you have to make sure that your exposures don't actually cause any harm. Um, because like with contamination OCD um, or things of that nature, it's a little easier to devise your exposures because you can go and, you know, touch something that's a bit dirty or like put your hand on something that you're not comfortable touching. Like you can do it. It doesn't harm anybody. Um, but with things like POCD or with, you know, harm OCD, obviously, you know, almost like the best exposure would be to do the thing, but, you know, you can't obviously and wouldn't want to anyway, but it, it's quite difficult to like work out what is going to be something that will spike your anxiety, um, but also is like appropriate and doesn't, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't harm anyone. So I kind of worked with the fact that I was getting this overlapping of my senses um, particularly for the harm OCD um, and like I referenced earlier so like if I clapped my hands and they were stinging um, then if I touched my son afterwards or even if I just looked at him really I would feel as if the stinging was because I'd hit him um, so that was kind of what I went with and um, my exposure that I, I now do um, on a regular basis multiple times each day um, is I will clap my hands together um, and I will just lay them on his cheek like gently afterwards just touch my hand to his face after I've clapped my hands um, and I'll just hold it there um, and it kind of gives me enough of a spike and it is crazy really because I, I, I look at what I'm doing and I see myself clap and then gently put my hand on his face and I, your OCD is just so powerful because I've watched myself do that exposure and I still think to myself oh my gosh I just hit him um, and it just goes to show like how strong and how powerful OCD is in, in your brain because uh, I, I, I just couldn't believe that I was still fooled by that um, but that was an exposure that really helped me with a specific um, sort of type of OCD that I was experiencing um, and then something that I devised to be kind of my exposure for the more like sexual um the the intrusive thoughts that were like more sexual in nature um was I've been really avoiding letting my son like sit on my lap um holding him on my lap um he likes to like he's at an age where he likes to like kick and jump around and stuff and sometimes if I'm changing his nappy he'd like kick me in the crotch um and that used to massively trigger me um so now I'll just sort of like put myself in situations where that might happen um like multiple times throughout the day um and you know that sort of really spikes me and I think that like for a long time when I was trying to do these exposures the pitfall I had was um everybody remembers the E but they forget the RP and I was like doing these exposures but I wasn't necessarily doing the response prevention that well um, and that really is the hardest thing, but it's also the most important thing. Um, so in terms of the response prevention, I'm sure we'll talk about acceptance and commitment therapy um, in, in a minute or so. But that was um, acceptance and commitment therapy was something that really helped me to be able to manage the, the feeling of anxiety that I was getting um, without doing an OCD response, without Googling, was this exposure too far, without um you know asking anybody around me whether this was totally inappropriate or uh you know any of my other rituals um so yeah ruminating about exposures as well was something I really struggled with um 
but yeah, those were those were a few of the, of the things that I found like really helpful to me um, that I learned along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. And it seems like you are on the right track. I love that you are doing things that are related to things that you value in your everyday life. Like you're not just writing a script about hurting your baby. Um, you're not just like imagining punching your baby. Like, uh, like, I don't think that anybody needs to necessarily do that. Like if that's agreed upon in therapy, that's great. But like, I love that you are like putting yourself in a position where knowing that like every once in a while he kicks you in a triggering area, like making sure that you put yourself in that situation. That's something that you have to do anyway. Right. And it's a valued based activity for you because you're changing his diaper, um, I love also like the clapping thing. Cause that's something that like, I remember doing with my kid, right? Like playing patty cake or playing like these clapping games, you know, and if that's something that is accompanied by intrusive thoughts, like just go do that thing. I think we often, you know, overcomplicate exposures like, oh my gosh, how could I ever possibly, you know, trigger myself with that fear or like, you know, what, what exposures could I possibly do? And it's like, well, what do you avoid on a day-to-day basis, right? Like if you're avoiding breastfeeding your child, if you're avoiding, you know, getting, uh, getting your child in the bath, if you're avoiding standing in a certain place, so your kid doesn't kick you go do those things, right? Like we don't have to overcomplicate it. And I feel like we definitely, definitely do sometimes like, you know, we have to write a script about running someone over with our car. Like no, just drive around your block without checking, right? Like we we overcomplicate it so much. And it's really, it's so much more about like those everyday real life things. Um, so as we wrap up here, I would love for you to um, give some advice or just like words of wisdom to anybody else out there, maybe some new moms um, who are kind of in the thick of it. They're just like at the beginning of the stage, learning more about it. What advice or kind of words of wisdom would you give to them? Sure. Um, and just quickly to go back to what you just said, like, I completely agree with you. Um, th- that is the best way to find an exposure. Definitely is to just go, what am I avoiding? What's triggering me in my daily life already anyway? Um, I think words of wisdom I would give is to open up to somebody that you trust about what you're feeling if you haven't already. Um, and you might think that you're particular intrusive thought or obsession or theme is so different to everybody else's and just much worse or much more taboo or you know the thing that you're worrying about is really bad and I get this a lot I listen to other people talk on podcasts about their experiences and I think oh my god but but that's my you know my OCD themes and my obsessions like they're different because they're real and they're in my head and just sort of keep a sense of like that the nature of OCD that is what it makes everybody feel um I think like the the most important thing that I've done is I've and if people are listening they've already started to do this but is to start to get involved um with OCD communities um like online or in their local area and just find people who are going through the same thing as you um some um like podcasts like your podcast and also the OCD stories by Stuart Ralph is like uh, they are amazing resources um there are tons of OCD um themed sort of like Instagram pages with amazing advice um but also like don't 
be afraid to start looking into your own exposure and response prevention journey. Um, as well as that, something that really helped me is acceptance and commitment therapy, which is basically about like learning to sit with negative feelings and not try and get rid of them um, and just let them be there and not struggling with them. Um, and that is something that like massively helped me when I was feeling really triggered, really anxious, really tempted to go and neutralize how bad I felt with rituals. Um, just reminding myself that it's okay to feel bad and I just don't have to do anything about it. I'm allowed to just feel bad and get on with what I'm already doing in my daily life. Um, you know, reminding myself of that and like welcoming the anxiety is something that really helped. But the, the biggest thing I think to sort of get started and moving towards a place where you feel better is is finding sort of a community be that online or where you live um of people who are who are experiencing something the same or similar to you because there are and you're not alone at all there are so many mothers um who are going through the exact same thing Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was so helpful. Um, I love that this was an example of how to get help for yourself without necessarily the help of a therapist. And like you tried, right? Like you tried your darndest to see the people and to do the things and it just didn't work out. And like, what were you supposed to do? You were not supposed to just continue to let OCD get stronger and stronger. I love that you are making the best out of your situation. And that's amazing. And it just goes to show, right? That you know, if you're willing and you're disciplined and, you know, like you're willing to do whatever it takes to overcome OCD, it can be done. And it's not necessarily done in a pretty way. It's not necessarily comfortable. It's not predictable by any means, but there are things that you can do. There are things that you can learn to start to dig yourself out of that hole um, and start to live a better life. So this was so inspiring. I love it. Um, thank you so much, Lauren, for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Um, any last words for, for the new mamas out there? Um, just that you're not alone. And if you look for people who have gone through the same thing as you, you will find them. Um, that has definitely been my experience. So yeah, I think, I think that's the, the, the real take home message that I would say. Awesome. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. 
With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.